Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, my name is Chris Causey. I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm excited. If this is your first time, you've picked uh, a really interesting and great uh, month to show up at Encounter Church. We're in the midst of a series that we kick off today uh, that's around questions that you've asked. So over the course of the last month, we have had it out there for you to kind of propose any question. What would you like for us to dive into? And so typically at Encounter Church, every month we grab hold of a, a concept or a theme and we, we work through uh, biblically what, does, what is God, what, what do we see in the Bible, what does it speak to, how does this look like to live our life in that way. And, uh, and so it's usually cohesive and there's this like movement through it. What's fun about this series is that you've made it hard for me and that there is no cohesiveness. It's this kind of glob and blob. And to top it all off, it's your questions. Um, which I don't have a problem with questions, but I've learned uh, through this series that people's questions, um, I have to channel uh, this parenting moment I have. If anybody has a small kid, you know that uh, questions can be dangerous things, right? Uh, what is S-E-X, Dad? And that's just, well, um, not sure. Uh, and it's just, well, it's because that day they learned there, there's two. There's male and female. And if you don't understand what that question means, you may launch into things that you never, ever planned to go with your six-year-old, or just this past week, um, when my daughter sitting at her dinner table said, Dad, I have a boyfriend. <laughs> and I passed out, fell back in my chair, and once I got back up, I said, I'm sorry, what's his name? I will kill him, right? Um, and, and Jenny, who's so much wiser than I am, recognizes that uh, with questions, there are assumptions, and you need to dig into it. She's like, so, Ella, what, is, what does it mean to have a boyfriend? Oh, you know, he's my friend, and he's a boy. And at that point, I put the gun and the knife up and said, okay, he can live another year. I mean, but the, the challenge with questions is around assumptions. And so when I get these questions, I know that oftentimes there are questions behind the questions, and there are uh, experiences behind the questions that you've, you've asked. And uh, one of the questions that I thought was a brilliant question, but it was so loaded, and there's so many assumptions behind it, and there's so many tensions and uh, background and tradition and baggage, um, was this question around the church. And so I wanted to take that question, and I wanted to drill through and blow up everyone's assumptions, and just kind of, even at the beginning of this moment, ask the fundamental question, what did Jesus have in mind? If he created it, he originated it, he started it, and it was his idea. What did he have in mind? What did he envision that we could become? And it's a story that I want to take you to because I, I think succinctly, I want to give you two statements that I think captures the answer for what Jesus had in mind when he created the church. It's really simple. And to take you to that story, it's a little bit of a different kind of story. I want to take you... Uh, not to moments where some theological statements are made, although they are, those are critical and essential. I want to take you to a moment that I think captures those two statements really well that, and that really succinctly kind of puts skin on what I think Jesus intended the church to look like. And it's a story not found in the New Testament. It's actually found in the Old Testament. But I think by the time we finish, you'll see how all the dots connect and all the lines are traced. It's a story, in fact, that actually uh, embodies a lot of how we do things at Encounter Church. This story I'm going to read from this morning that's in uh, the app already preloaded for you really captures the backdrop of Encounter Church. 
because I do see in this story the two statements that I want to answer that question with. Um, it's found in the book of Exodus. It's a story that plays out pretty quickly with the start of the book of, the, book of Exodus. And just kind of as an overview, as you're clicking on the app or um, as you prepare to read kind of with me on the screens or open up a physical Bible, uh, the Bible as a whole, um, kind of our religious text, what we believe to be God's words, that guide and instruct us in every single day of our life that is comprised of two volumes. There is the Old Testament and there is the New Testament. And to kind of summarize it very succinctly is the Old Testament was really built around um, two things. One was God's kind of beginning of birthing a new people. And, and to those people, he gave two, two promises. The first promise was a promised land that I was going to create for you as my people, a special place for you to live and to dwell. And that was the promised land piece. And in the midst of the Old Testament, a second promise emerges that is the greater promise, which is the promise of the promised one. So to the, throughout the Old Testament, the promised land and the promised one kind of are, are the essential backdrops for what's happening in the Old Testament. The New Testament takes up the the Old Testament promise around the promised one, and that is what the New Testament's focus is on. So Old Testament, oversimplified, promised land. New Testament is really about fleshing out the promised one, and we believe that was Jesus. So when you kind of have that backdrop, you see how they're connected. God was doing something, and out of what he was doing, these two promises provided the tracks for this storyline of hope that he was unfolding for humanity. And it's in this moment in Exodus chapter 3, that we see the birth of both of these pieces. That the promised land gets put before the people for the first time. The book of Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament, is primarily focused on a guy named Moses. And Moses was a man who, like in August of last year, we spent an entire month talking about because he's an incredible man. He, he was a very ordinary man. But yet, in the midst of his life, God did some extraordinary things. And Moses grows up in a time when the people that he belongs to, his ethnic group, is enslaved. And it's a brutal enslavement. And the people are growing fast, and the government, the Egyptian government, who's enslaved these people to build their pyramids and their infrastructure, start to notice that, man, these Jewish people are multiplying fast. There's a lot of babies being born, and there starts to be a fear at the highest levels of government that there could be an uprising waiting to happen. And so what, what happens is the Egyptians institute a genocide. All the male babies are to be massacred that are born in the Jewish people because they want to suppress and press down any attempts that the Jewish people may have to overthrow the Egyptian government. And so babies are being slaughtered as they're being born. And one of these babies, a baby named Moses, gets by the spies and is put inside of a riverbed and is kind of launched out with a prayer that, God, I hope you save my son. And lo and behold, it just happens that he gets found by an Egyptian princess who brings him in, whose heart is moved, and who raises him as royalty in Pharaoh's house. And Moses grows up, and well into adulthood, he lives his life as Egyptian royalty, as an Egyptian prince. He has everything that his people do not have. He has all the trappings of the royal life, and yet something inside of him is stirring. He, 
He believes there should be more, and so he sets out and he does something foolish. He kills someone because Moses is trying to jumpstart something. He's trying to make something happen in his life. And he ends up overnight going from being an Egyptian prince to an Egyptian fugitive. And he has to flee the nation, the only place he's ever known. And he goes into the wilderness, into the desert. And there he meets a family that he ends up marrying into. And he becomes an employee of the family business of taking care of sheep and goats. So this man who had been Egyptian royalty is now living in a desert taking orders from his father-in-law. Can you imagine? With his highest responsibility is taking care of animals. He had servants that used to respond to his ever whim and now he's in charge of stupid animals. That's life. And that's what life is. Every single day and every single day turns into months and the months turn into years and the years turn into decades. And Moses is just living this repetitive, monotonous, tragic life of a man who once had something going for him and now that the world is forgotten about. And it's that man that this story unfolds with. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Oreb, the mountain of God. So everything I've just told you, which is what that first sentence is trying to set the tone for. Not only is he in the middle of nowhere, um, Moses wants us to understand that there is nowhere, and then there is the far right side of nowhere. That's the place where your cell phone doesn't work, where you don't get internet, right? That's, that's the middle of nowhere. It's one thing to be driving around and looking and be like, man, I think we're in the middle of nowhere. It's another thing to look down at your phone and say, we are, in fact, in the middle of nowhere. There is no connection to humanity. It is just us, right? And it's, that is where Moses is. He's by himself. And he's wandering around the wilderness with sheep and goat, and he's alone. And it's amazing. I don't know if, if you experience this, but life can be really fast-paced. But I've found that no matter how hectic my day is, when I go to lay my head down at night and the world stops moving, that's when thoughts kind of begin to surge and come in. It's where all those things start to bubble up, all the thoughts that you didn't have time that day, all the fears, all the anxieties, all the what-ifs and the worries, they come to mind when you're laying in bed and there's just you and a clock ticking beside you. And this is Moses' day, every single day. Just a lot of time to think, a lot of time to reflect. He's perpetually, his head is on a pillow, thinking about what could have been and what is. And it's yet there that the angel of the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within a bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. When you are in charge of nothing but animals, anything becomes interesting. A bush burning is interesting. And Moses sees a bush on fire, which is not necessarily uncommon in the wilderness. But he noticed it has this peculiar fact 
or trait. The fire is not burning the bush. The bush, this ordinary bush that he has seen time and time again, seems to have something extraordinary happen. And so Moses drifts over to that because he has absolutely nothing but time. And he walks over to that bush. And when he gets there, he does the only thing, quite honestly, that you and I would do outside of running. He goes present. Right? I think he reverts back to like third grade Moses when he hears his name called out and he's like, present. Uh, it's just, what do you do? The bush just talked to you. There's nowhere to go. If the bush is speaking, he might have other bush friends too. And so I'm just kind of stuck out here. And so you go present. And then at that point, he says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I remember reading this story for the first time. I'd become a Christian. It was about two months into uh, becoming a Christian in college. Um, and I remember reading this story, and it floored me. It deeply moved me. Because I think in some ways I could connect with Moses. And I was humbled by what I was seeing. Here's a man, right? I give you his history because I wanted you to realize he had a past just like you do. Moses isn't some literary figure made up to tell us a story about a bush that talks as strange and as weird as that may be. Moses is a man who had a story, who had hopes, who had dreams, who had disappointments, who had doubts, just like you and I do. And Moses had all of that facade ripped away, and Moses was standing in the middle of nowhere with all of those hopes and dreams dead. He was a man whose literal name meant something. Moses. It means to be drawn out. There was a specialness about his name. Growing up, he was told, you're going to be somebody one day. You're special, Moses. Your name, Moses. It's your destiny, Moses. You have great potential, Moses. And yet, here is Moses standing in the middle of the desert, and none of that is true. In fact, the one time he tries to do something about that specialness, he falls flat on his face. And so I think that's when I read it. I was so deeply moved by this man because here is a man who had flesh and bloods and dreams and doubts and disappointments just like you and just like me. He knew what it was like to get to your 40s or your late 30s. And that plan that you had worked out in your head when you were in your 20s that you thought was just going to be so clear and so simple just didn't pan out. He knows what it's like to look and to wake up every morning in a place that you never intended to go there. In fact, when you were growing up, you didn't even know that there was a ticket to get to that place. And if there had been, you sure would have never bought it. He knows what it's like to live with that disappointment, to know that he's disappointed his parents, to be in a job he never, ever wanted to be in. Can you relate to that? To punch a clock at a place that you never imagined. A place where punching the clock can become a prison. And yet this is his life. 
every bit of your doubts and your struggles, your fears, your insecurities, Moses has it, and he's surrounded by goat and sheep. And that's it. And yet in the midst of that place, in the midst of living in a world where he has been forgotten as a fugitive, where he is in just constantly reminded of what he has not done every time he's heard his name, God speaks. I mean, think about it. His name was a reminder of how he had failed. And what does God do? God speaks his name. God finds him in a place that he thought no one could find him. There is not a tile or a GPS tracker that could have found Moses that day, and yet God finds him in that place and in that space. And, and it's in that moment that I think what we see coming up out is this picture of what I think church is meant to look like. It is a place where you can experience hope. Moses is in a hopeless place. And what does he find there? He, he meets a God who, who knows him by his name. He meets a God who has watched him his entire life. It may be that the, all of the Egyptian government, all of his family members have forgotten about him, but God has not. God has not abandoned him. God has not dismissed him or written him off. He is still wanted. He is still pursued. He is still loved. He is still known. And that is what Moses finds in the middle of nowhere that day on the mountain. That God says, I know you by name, Moses. I know what you have done. I know where you have come from. I know your anxieties. I know your fears. And yet, in the midst of all of that, I, I want you. And I have hope for you. And this isn't hype. This isn't I ate a mushroom and now I'm in the middle of nowhere and I got a bush talking to me, though that might have crossed his mind. This is significant hope. This is hope that goes beyond, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember losing my hair. Um, and, and it was around that same time period where infomercials would come on. And one of the infomercials was like, are you suffering from male pattern baldness? Do you wish that you reclaim that beautiful mane that you once owned? Well, if so, for three easy installments of $19.99, you can have it back. And I look, and there in the commercial is a man with a spray can, and he is doing this. And he's getting his hair back. And I'm watching that commercial, and I'm like, that's black spray paint. <laughs> $60 of black spray paint. I'm not talking about that hope. I'm talking about hope that has a name. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Hope that has substance. Hope that is a person. Hope that is perfection. Hope that is powerful, right? Take off your shoes for where you're standing, Moses, is holy ground. You see an ordinary bush, but I am doing something extraordinary. I've chosen this spot to meet with you and to infuse hope into your life, Moses. And I believe that when people walk in here on Sunday morning, that what they should walk out with is that little bit of odor of hope trailing behind them. You know when you go to someone's house and they use air fresheners or they, they, it's just kind of, and you leave and you smell like it? My wife can tell when I've been to Starbucks because I walk in and I waft coffee. She's like, you've been to Starbucks today, haven't you? And I'm like, can you smell it? 
I think when people leave here, they should smell the hope on us. Because we've been in a room that's different. We've been in a place that's different. A place where hope is present because hope has a name. It's why I I love getting to stand at starting point and interacting with you. A few weeks ago, someone walked up to me and it was their first time here and they'd been invited by someone who comes to Encounter Church semi-regularly. And she walks up to me and she said, when I first walked into this building today, I looked at my friend and I said, this is not a church. This is weird. Then I listened to the music. The music is weird. Is this a rock concert? Like, what is this? And I'm like, yes, I know. It's weird, isn't it? She said, but when the service was over, I looked at my friends and I said, if this had been what church was like when I grew up, I would have never walked away from it. I would have never made the choices I made in my life. I love that I get to hear those stories. Because I recognize this is weird. A bush burning, talking to you in the desert is weird. It's okay that the music is weird. It's okay you may not like the music. It's okay that you may not understand always how this thing is going on around you. It's not about the weirdness. It's about the fact that it works. That there's hope present And that this is a place and a space where we can experience that hope, where we can be transformed by that hope, that we can bump into a God, even if we're not sure what His name is, that we can bump into a God who can reveal to us that He is greater than the struggles that we walk through, that He is grander than the problems and the griefs that we find ourselves in, that He is not a God who is just trying to give us escape from our life, that He is a God who can give us energy to walk through our life. That you should be able to walk in here and if you've had a week like mine the last couple where if you drank, you would drink. I think you should walk in here and with that honesty, be able to experience a God who gives you something far more than the escape that our computers and that our substances can give. That gives you freedom. Moses was a fugitive and he meets God at a bush and he becomes free. A man who had been enslaved, he leaves a liberator. Right? That's what keeps happening in this storyline. I sincerely believe that kids who come and grow up at Encounter Church, whether they're babies, they're preschoolers, whether they're elementary kids or they're teenagers, that when they talk about church in the future, when I jump in that time machine and I imagine what conversation looks like in the future, they don't tell stories about surviving church. They tell stories about thriving in it. They tell stories about being formed in it. They tell stories about having identity and confidence and hope and joy and peace and finding a freedom that love brings, that that's the storyline that church, that's the storyline of a place called hope where hope has a name. That's what this church is meant to look like. It's a place where people can experience hope with a capital H. But the story's not over. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, 
Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Can I just pause for a second? Because when I read that, I feel like I'm listening to a commercial about some medicine I should be taking. Are you currently suffering with Hittites, Hevusites, Jebusites, and Parasites? Good news. We've just, the FDA has just approved this drug. Like, I realize that when you read that, like, my mind jumps to, like, is this a drug commercial? No, these are the people who are currently occupying the place that God is promising them. God's not saying, I got an empty plot of land that's going to be easy to step into. God's actually saying to Moses, Moses, I know that you have lived your life as a fugitive for the last 40 years, but I'm about to turn you into a liberator. Oh, and by the way, I am going to do something so incredible that you're going to take people into a place that is filled with enemies, and yet you will still thrive. And that's God setting him up. He's like, this is who I am. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So I'm about to hurl down lightning bolts and light that place all up and the pyramids are going to fall and I'm going to come in with some angels and they're going to have, you know, they're going to Jack Bauer and Jason Bourne, all those people. No, he, he says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I love it. He goes to Moses, a man who is living his life on the run as a fugitive, and he says, I want you to go back to the place that you fled, and I want you to go back as a liberator. I want you to go back. The hope that you just experienced here, Moses, I want you now to embody that hope and go to these people who are enslaved. Because church is not just a place where people can experience hope, it's also a people that embody hope. And that is the other distinct statement, that when we talk about church, church is not just a place where you can experience hope, but church is a people who embody it. That the hope that we discover here on Sunday mornings isn't meant to stay here. It's meant to go out. That Moses standing before God, is told, I've heard the people's prayers, and now I'm answering it. And by the way, Moses, you're the answer. Is it possible that there are people praying in the places that you work, in the neighborhoods you lead, and you live in, in the schools that your kids attend? Is it possible that they are praying prayers and they may be wondering if God is even hearing them or answering them, but the answer to their prayers is you? They, the answer to their prayers is sitting beside them in a cubicle. It's sitting across from them at a cafeteria table. I sincerely believe that we are not just to be a people who experience hope, but we are meant to be a people who embody that hope as we go into the world. For far too long, people have written off Christianity because of the people they have met who claim to follow Jesus. And I remember growing up and I would make the same statements. I would write off the church because of the people who would claim to be a part of the church. Because they were the ones who were doing the drugs and doing the partying thing just like I was. And I just had in my head that if you believe something, it should change the way you behave. It should make you different. And I just remember being confused by those people. And then in high school, I had, on my senior trip, I had an, um, one of those 24-hour diners. It was a late-night run, and me and a group of friends went there, and I ordered this something egg concoction. And a few hours later, I was prepared to write my will and last testament as an 18-year-old. 
because I'd gotten food poisoning from that egg. It was the most excruciatingly painful moment in my life at, to that point, my short little 18-year run. At, it was gut-wrenching in all the literal and figurative kind of ways. I hated eggs. I swore off eggs for years, would not get near them. The idea of an egg made me sick. I refused to eat eggs because I had experienced a bad one. And one day it hit me. I am missing out on a whole rich world of fried and scrambled and sunny side up. Like there is a whole world out there that I have closed off because I had one negative experience that made me sick to my stomach. But is it possible that I'd overreacted? And I remember having this moment in, in my early 20s of being like, I think I am overreacting to that egg. And since that moment, I made a decision. I was like, I'm not going to write off every egg and the entire egg industry because of one negative encounter with an egg. And I think it's possible that for some of us, like me even growing up, that we can write off the church because we've experienced a few bad eggs. And that there is so much more, there is so much more richness that we could experience. That just because we haven't seen the best pictures of what it looks like to embody hope does not mean that we can't do it. And that's why when we were dreaming of what does it look like to, to, to live out our faith in a way that spills out beyond Sunday, I, I actually came up with this physical illustration that sits on my desk. And it's just my gut check. Because I, I, I will live my entire life, and by God's grace, no one will ever say, I don't go to church because of Chris Causey. Because I said that. And so on my desk sits a Bible. And every single passage that is in action has been cut out. Every single one. If it is a command, if it's a call of what my life is meant to look like, it's, it's no longer there. And there are literally entire chapters of this Bible that are missing. There are books that are missing throughout this, this Bible. And the reality is, I had a friend of mine one time who was like, you're a pastor, how dare you cut up the Bible? Like, that's so messed up. I was like, you know what's really messed up is when I do it with my life. This doesn't make people not go to church, but when I do it with my life, it does. When I do it with my life, it distorts people's view of Jesus. And so as a church, we decided we are not going to be a, a church that just does hope on Sunday morning that we will equip people to let Sunday spill into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that the hope and the joy that people experience here can flow into areas of people's lives, into our lives, that we, I imagine, of people who, who embody hope, who go into their spheres of life and the way they live their life, the way they act, the way they speak, the way they serve, the way they give, the way they move just through the course of everyday life. They don't speak with weird like Christian verbiage and say blessings and sprinkle people with water. I'm not talking about that kind of weirdness. I'm talking about the weirdness that comes from being loved without strings attached. I'm talking about the weirdness of parenting a child not from guilt and shame or parenting a child because you've been embarrassed by what they just did to you, but parenting out of love and calling them up to flourish in that. I'm talking about that kind of hope being embodied, which is why on May 20th, I'm excited, we're going to be kicking off a group called The 112. And it's about anyone here who says, I want to take what I'm doing, what I experience on Sunday, and I want to embody it on Monday and Tuesday. 
And that the 112 will teach you, will train you, will give you the tools that, it, it, that you need to take the, the hope and the joy and the love and what you experience on Sunday in the one or two hours of your week and live it out all 112 hours, which is the average time and the average American is awake. And I get that some of you are new parents and so the 112 isn't the 112, you're, you're 167, Okay. Because you're just not sleeping. But the reality is, is that we believe that faith can infuse every area of our life. And it doesn't have to make us weird. It doesn't have to make us standoffish. It doesn't have to make us strange. It, it makes us different. And it makes us better. Because the hope that Moses encountered, he was now being called and sent to embody. And I believe that a church is not just a place where people can experience hope. It's also a people who are meant to embody that hope too. And it's why we serve in our community the way we do. It's the, why, the reason that we give over 10% of everything that comes in straight out to make a difference here, there, and everywhere around the world. It's why we are generous from day one with how we orchestrated the, the gifts that we were going to give and the way we're going to serve and love people. Because we sincerely believe that we are called to embody hope, not just create experiences of hope. It's why people serve on Sunday mornings. It's why people just like you, people just like me, who give up an hour on Sunday to serve in these spaces and places that you may not even know are there, and they do it because they understand that they're embodying hope. That they're, they're creating opportunities for people to walk in on a Sunday morning and to say the things that people say to me at starting point. Is because someone said, you know what, on Sundays, once, twice a month, I'm going to serve coffee. I'm going to create an experience where people feel something warm in their hands, where they can have a good cup of coffee. I had a parent recently tell me, I love this church. I didn't take it offensively. They're like, it's the only place in the week I can sit by myself and drink a warm cup of coffee. And I was like, I'm glad we can facilitate that for you. But the reason that happens is not because I got here early to make coffee. It's because someone like you did. And there is a place and a space here at this church for every single one of you. Even if you're not sure what you believe, even if you're working through your beliefs, there is a place where you can belong and you can make a difference. And that maybe today, some of us, our next steps is to open up the app or to swing by starting point and say, hey, I want to find a place where I can serve and embody hope. Or I want to be a part of that 112. I want to learn. I want May 20th, sign me up. Because I think... Church is a place to experience hope and it's a people that are meant to embody hope. And the reason that we can do both of those things is because of this. In verse 11, but Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? A very fair question. You may be asking that same question. Who am I to serve in preschool? Who am I to run a camera? Who am I to serve in our community? Like, who am I? I've got my baggage, I've got my past, I've got my mistakes, I've got my struggles. Like, I'm not super spiritual. I'm not uh, some kind of like got it all together type. And Moses says the same thing to God. Who am I? And God says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that as I have sent you, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God's answer to his objection was the fact that he, God, would be with him. Which is kind of a strange answer. But even yesterday, I was reminded of why it's not that strange. My, my daughter um, is in kindergarten, so they have to do uh, little descriptors. They have to write journals and 
all these storytelling things fairly regularly. And um, in my household, Jenny is the favorite. I don't know about in your household. Um, I don't know if growing up, if you liked one parent, or maybe you were too kind to tell one parent that you liked them more. My daughter is not. She tells me regularly, I like mommy better than I like you. No joke. We were traveling together last week by ourselves, and she said, Daddy, I really wish mommy was here. It's just not as fun without her. And then she's like, I wish any girl was here. And I was like, what do they have that I don't have? I was like, I don't understand. And, but this is like literally, this is what happens every single day. And, um, and so um, this past week, she had written a journal, and she, she decided to write about me. And so I was like, all right, I'm curious to know in her little mind what she associates with me, because it's sure as heck not wanting to hang out with me, right? And, and I get it. I understand. I like Jenny more than I like me, too. So I totally relate to it. But I open up her journal, and I flip through it, and here's her descriptors. One, mm, testify. Beautiful, bald head. <laughs> I was like, girl, you see truth. It's beautiful, and it's bald, right? And that was her descriptor. There's me. Actually, in her drawing, she put hair on me, so I'd feel better. But she said, I had beautiful, bald head. And then underneath it, she wrote, he is strong. And I was asking her about that. And I've noticed that whenever we do things together, Ella takes risk when I'm around. She leans into things. She'll try things. Because she, she knows that I'm there. And I've heard her mention it a lot. Daddy, I want to... I want to go do this at the playground because you're strong. And yesterday, we were at the playground, and so she's on something that normally is way beyond her capacity. And she's up there dangling for her life. And I'm like, what are you doing, child? Like, you can't even, you're not even tall enough to attempt this piece of playground equipment. But the reason she was doing it was because I was standing there with her. Because I watched my daughter become stronger, become braver, I watched my daughter grow into the woman that she's becoming. Not even the woman she is right now. All because I was standing there behind her and with her. And that watching her yesterday do something that she didn't think she could do only because I was standing behind her to catch her if she fell. I realized thinking about this passage that this is exactly what God was saying to Moses. I'm going with you, Moses. And that changes everything. That changes what you can risk. It changes what you can give. It changes how you can serve. It changes how you can lean in. It changes how you can speak. It changes what you can do because I am there with you. And that if my little daughter with all of my feeble arm strength can become stronger because of my presence, I think it's possible that we can become stronger that we can be a church where people can experience hope and that we can be a people who embody it. And to, to kind of close out today, I want to teach you a new song. Uh, we want to teach you a new song. I am not going to sing it to you. Um, but it's a song that captures this idea about the church being a place where you can experience hope and a people that embody it. It's a song that I think lifts our perspective up and, and fills us with a little bit of kind of hope and strength to imagine our 
going into the week, embodying hope, sitting across the table from someone, encouraging them, speaking words of life, speaking vision for them, even if they don't have it for themselves. Talking to people not as they are, but who they could be. That to be those kind of people. And it's a song that maybe you've never heard before. It's a song called So Will I. And during this song, I just want to give you some freedom. It's an incredibly beautiful poetic song. And I don't expect you to sing it. You don't have to. I just would like for you to read it. If you want to sing it, feel free to do so. But the words of this song, I think, beautifully capture the reason that we believe church can be a place and a people. Because at the end, above it all, was that promise that God gave Moses that hope has a name. And for us, His name is Jesus. And that He broke through a grave. And that He rose from the dead. And that means no matter where we are and what we're standing in the midst of, no matter what experiences we're walking through, no matter how dark or how bright those experiences, there is a hope that comes because if He has broken from the grave, if He has overcome death, that we can experience life and that we can taste joy. And that during the midst of this song, as they lead us, that we will practice what you've seen us do so so many times if you're a regular here which is to use this moment to reflect to ponder to write in the message notes hey here's what i think it's going to look like for me this week to to kind of live this out that we create this space so that you can reflect and so that you can apply what we've talked about and we we've done it through the app with the message notes and that we've created this space for us to practice the generosity the reason that we can give to, to rescue people out of uh, the slave trade or the reason that we can feed mouths in Puerto Rico or be a part of impacting nations that I can't even pronounce is because of the generosity of the people in this room. And so this is also a time where we carve out to be able to practice that generosity for those who call Encounter Church home. So I want to pray and then I'm going to invite you to stand and uh, the band will come and lead us and then afterwards someone will come up dismiss. But let's press into this song Let's press into imagine what it would look like to be a people and a place of hope.